This is Liza, and I got a new mullet. What do you think? You like it? Definite improvement. Very retro. Improvement. The Super mullet cool. Around here, when I when uh, Jim came on, he reminded me this has been on his balls before. So yes, it's the winter. It's the winter sack. As they call it, South Dakota. What was it? The business part or the party part? And that is when my head started to itch. Hey everyone, um, yeah, we had a, another great day in the garage, even though winter is coming in, it was cold, it was windy, and there was mm. a bit of rain, but hey, the crew was still there, and the first one to show up, the one I can always rely on, <laughs> it's Miss Emma. Hello, darling. Hello. Hello, darling, and I drive a mullet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do. Um, yes, um, the El Camino has been referred to many as the automotive mullet. Um, I like that because yep. yeah, it, business in the front, in the front, front party, party in the yes fits. Yep. And you are absolutely right, Liza. You can <clears throat> always count on me. Lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, and let's see. Uh, coming to us from his his own little dude shack. It's Naked Jim. Hey, hey! It's desert season. Get out there and get it. All right, and yeah, you, we we all got some good ride reports. We'll get to yours. Let's see. And then uh, sitting with all of his vehicles under one roof, which is probably the first time ever. It's Bagel. Hello, greetings from Venita, Oregon. That is quite the impressive uh, garage that you have, and you know oh, you had you. all those, but all the same vehicles, but they weren't as impressive when they were all shoved in like various piles. Yeah, definitely. Now the way you have it displayed all that room, it looks quite nice. Yep, they are they are oh. spread out around the garage. They all have a home now, and uh, soon once everything is organized and I'm done working on the house, I will be working on lots of bikes. Oh, good. I can see the Heinke Heinkel. Yep, yep. It's right back there. Yeah. No, I saw it under the shelves. Oh, Oh, the yes. other Heinkel. Oh, the, the, the Perla, Perla. yes. Yeah, the Pearl. The yep. Pearl. There she is. Yeah, good-o. Yep. Aw. What a cutie. Yeah. All right, and coming to us all the way from sunny Alameda, it's Scott. Hello. How you doing? Hello. I was doing my own little misfits show up here. I sent you pictures of my, my bodge job fixing up the GS after the crashes last weekend. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, yeah, we'll get to the crashes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, they were good crashes. I just want to say it front. Thank good you. crashes. And uh, coming to us from uh, Nighttime Felton. Is that Felton? John? No, it's uh, it's Boulder Creek. Boulder Creek. It's mm. John. Yep. What's up, cabrones? Welcome from uh, Redwood Nation up here in Boulder Creek, where uh, where uh, young people go to die. 
where your house didn't turn (laughs) where i didn't turn so um and i will say i don't know about you all but i did rock a mullet in the 80s and uh and my my wife took care of that real quickly (laughs) (laughs) title tonight too from last week and your new title is bringer of zip ties (laughs) that's true (laughs) yeah but it doesn't count unless it's touched jim's balls that's how i feel I can oh. say very clearly, I've not touched Jim Balls. So. Oh, there you go. Oh, dear God, everyone. Can we stop? I, th- I thought everyone had touched Liza's balls by now. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, the, the only three balls of them. that should be touched is Liza's. <laughs> Liza did try to make me touch her balls on her, on her Africa twin last week. Yeah. That was, that was very awkward. Right. <laughs> well, did you put them in front of your knees or behind them? <laughs> Uh, behind. She, to put him in her, she tried to give to put him in her mouth. My mouth. I don't know why that was. <laughs> well, that just went to a whole different place. I thought we were talking about some sort of leg support. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, sorry. We've got so much to catch up on. Um, first of all, hey, I hope everyone really enjoyed the last couple episodes we've had. We've had some great interviews with Steph Jevons and with Debbie mm-hmm. Lawler. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Those were two amazing women. Um, but I wanted to have a night of uh, just catching up with the misfits, you know, and what we've been doing because we've been doing <clears throat> a lot. Jim, you had you experienced something. I think for the first time today, as somebody who's building your first bike, a ground up project, you experience that kind of that moment that I think you probably get, you know, there's, when you're doing a big project like that, it, it, it gets stuck in the mud a lot and it's hard to get the emotional energy to get excited. But there's a point, and Emma, I think you know it too, and Bagel, oh, yeah. maybe you guys too, there's a point when it, you start to put things together and you have what's called a roller, a rolling chassis. And you can kind of start setting the parts on there. And for the first time, you see what it's going to look like. And Jim, you, that happened to you today. How did it feel? Yeah, it was. it's really cool to see a bike kind of come together, like the first glimpse of, of what it's going to look like. I mean, there's still a, a super long way to go. Um, but you're right. You know, the easy part's taking it, you know, is taking it apart. You're excited. It's new. Everything comes off. You're like, all right, that was, you know, pretty easy. And then you have to put it all back together, which is kind of daunting. And for me, the hardest step was just getting the steering, you know, back together. Yeah. I know, Liza, you would help me push a bearing on. <clears throat> we went to tapered bearings instead of the race with the loose bearings and all that. And then, and then Emma really helped me kind of get the front end on. That do was really right. sticking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to take it all off again and do it again, of course. But, but I, I think I've done everything like that two or three times. Um, but that was the hard part for me. But once I got the steering on and that kind of demystified, everything uh, started to come together. So I got the frame, frame, swing arm, gas tank, some other things powder coated, um, and then started putting it together. And it's, it's interesting. Um, once you get that momentum, it really starts to build. Um, so for those who don't know, tell us what you're building, what this started as and what the end goal is. Yeah. Um, so the bike's a 1983 Ascot 500 FT. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, yeah, the, the big thumper, um, and it was actually Jake's bike when she got it. Uh, you know, people know who Jake is from the podcast, my daughter. So when she went into the Navy, um, I was an empty nester and I was like, I need something to do. So she lived in, we call it this shack out back. <laughs> and, um, when she moved out, I moved all her stuff out and turned it into a garage and the first thing i really got into so was getting into her bike so it was a stock ascot you know cool bike it was running um a couple little issues but cool bike um and instead of selling it it was kind of my therapy when she left the house so took it all apart 
and now we're putting it back together anyway, long story short. Um, yeah, but it's been a cool project. Um, so we're getting there. Like I said, a long way to go. And Emma's been a great help to me. Um, you know, cause now I've had to do things a couple of times, but I can do them a couple of times. Thank you, darling. <laughs> yes. No, thank you. And I think the colors came out great. So, you know, I got the wheels, uh, powder coated, uh, what was it? Candy, candy chrome orange. I thought that came out lovely. No, 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 um, darling. No, no, your wheels are pudding color. They're candy, <laughs> no they're, they're, they're candy pudding. They're rose gold. What year they're is that candy... thing, Jim? Yeah, so uh, so it's an '83. Um, okay, yeah, cool. it's cool. You know, I had to do some, you know, some stuff uh, like you know, Emma, Emma's, Emma's been holding my hand, but the gas tank had some, you know, some uh, squashed parts in it from where the seat went on and things like that. I don't know how to describe it any better. The, the gas tank was molded in a way where the seat would come up onto the gas tank. And it was when you took the seat off, and it's a big, huge, ugly seat, there was a big low spot in the gas tank. So, like, filled that in with fiberglass material, sanded it down, <clears throat> blocked it with him as help. She's like, show me how to actually block a gas or block fiberglass work. You know, so things like that have been fascinating. But as I went, I I took everything off, rebuilt everything. So went through all the brakes, rebuilt everything, new seals, etc. Um, forks, same thing there. Um, shocks, going to keep the same shocks. I had the springs powder coated black, so they look good. I'm looking at the bike right now. So it's been fun, you know, actually, actually take everything completely apart and put it back together. But yes, you know, to, to go from something that's been stuck in the mud for a year to really in just a month and a, maybe a month or so, a rolling chassis. So then there's hope. So when you do see the wheels on it, you know, and I, I mocked up the color scheme a little bit and the seat and et cetera. And, you know, now, now you really get some momentum going. So yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. I, it, it gets me jazzed too. Just seeing, like, I think when, when you're doing a project or someone's doing a project and they're like making progress and it's like, Ooh, it kind of kicks me. I want to get my mind going too. And yeah. Well, I got to catch up to everybody else around here. Well, and actually I did get mine going today. And when I say I, I mean, Emma, because mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the KZ 400 project that I keep uh, having issues either with spark or gas, wasn't sure. I uh, replaced the coil and everything at points, um, took the carburetors apart three times and cleaned them, put them back together and it was still not running right. I could ride it down the street, but it wasn't right. Each time I'd, I'd take it apart and find some new thing that uh, like was there, where was a weird thing where one slide slid up further than the other carb. And I took it apart and in the top of the carburetor where the slide goes up, I had to use a, a dental pick and there was a wad of steel wool up in the top recess. I'm like, where did that come from? There's oh, just man. things. And then also where the carb attaches to the, the plate, uh, kind of like a manifold plate, somebody used too short of a screw. So there was actually, it wasn't tightening and there was an air gap and just little things. And each time I think that's it. And I put it together and that wasn't it. And, and Emma pulled the carbs off figured it out quite quick. Emma, you want to tell them what I had missed? Oh, um, oh, oh no, I'm, I'm getting, to, I'm getting tea and cookies, darling. <laughs> getting tea I and just, cookies. The, I just got the delivered service a hot in this hotel, the <laughs> service in this hotel is absolutely first class. Cheers, darling. Um, <laughs> um, so, I mean, it was just it was just general crud. I mean, I hogged out the main bearings with a drill. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Um. 
The problem is whenever you resurrect an old bike, you're always going to have this problem with distilled old fuel. And you clean it out as much as you can, but there are dry deposits everywhere in the tank, in the lines, in the recesses of the carburetor. And, of course, when you start putting fresh fuel in, it kind of brings all this crud back to life. Um, and so all you can do is clean as much of it out as you can. And Lyser have done a splendid job of cleaning the carbs, but <clears throat> not good enough. So, yeah, and, um, and I think and just so other people can learn from it, I think, I mean, you said, so there's a port uh, above the main jet. And I was, when I take all the jets out, I treated that like one of the jets and I take my little guitar string and I slide it in there. I could see sun, I could see light through it, done. But I believe what had happened was that thing had been full of gunk and it right. should have had a much bigger hole. I was just poking this a small hole with a guitar string and that exactly. the rest of the gunk was still so, around the perimeter. So as soon as gas would get introduced, it would just re-gunkify it and block it up. Exactly. So that's why so, she got in there and really got it out. So right. yeah. if, if, if you look at a jet, it's not just a lump of brass with a hole <laughs> in it. It's actually what's called, it's got what's called a lead in. And a lead-in is, uh, as you say, a larger hole. Mm -hmm. And it's on a slight taper. So, you know, it collects the fuel and then it goes through the jet. And it actually increases the velocity of fuel coming up through the jet. It's all about making that fuel move as quickly as possible is in the carburetor. Is that the Venturi effect? That is indeed the Venturi effect. Well done. Thanks. Um, I, and in fact, I am going to show you something even more impressive. This is oh. a knockoff Girl Scout cookie. Oh. Look at that. Oh, my. Made by, made by Keebler, darling. Keebler. Oh, dear. It's oh. delicious. Um, uh -oh. So <clears> anyway, <throat> now, I mean, <laughs> yes, that's free advertising. Don't buy Keebler cookies, boys and girls. Because <laughs> that's more for me. Um. So, I mean, it really was just a case of getting into the carburetor and not only cleaning the parts that are obvious, like the hole in the jet, but cleaning everything else as well. You know, the best way to describe a carburetor, if you can imagine a room with 100 people in it, and then you open the door and everybody trying to get out of the door at the same time, that's what's happening in the carburetor. So you've got this float bowl full of fuel and everybody's going to tr trying to get out of the door. And if you've got one person who falls over, there's going to be this massing heaping heap at the door and everything is going to get blocked. And I that's what happened. Question of those hundred people, how many have mullets? Probably all of them. Cause right. your bike is a 1974. There you go. Yeah, one mullet was so long. Somebody tripped over it. Scott, you I feel it? that is probably the case. <laughs> yeah. Question because, you for know, Emma. Yeah. Yes, darling. Do you hit those when the jets clog up like that? Do you put them in an ultrasonic bath, or what's the best way to clean them up? No. Aha! I'm glad you brought up ultrasonic baths because there's a lot of crap talked about ultrasonic baths, and there is a lot <laughs> of a drill. What's that noise? Drill them out. That's what he says. Clog them out. An ultrasonic bath should be regarded as probably the best way to clean the outside of a carburetor 
to clean the inside of a carburetor, all the jets, all the passages, there is no substitute for compressed air and carb cleaner. There's no substitute for it. And just to remind and so you, even if yes, when you're doing that, make sure you have the top and the bottom off before using compressed air. Just a reminder. Oh yeah. So, and wear goggles. And exactly. Or point everything away from you. Ooh. The, yes. One other tip. And don't remove the jet and hold it in your fingers and put compressed air on it because that will shoot it across the room. <laughs> I'm yes. just trying to share things I've learned. <laughs> they, these are things you've done. Um, but unfortunately, I mean, I know this is going to break a lot of people's hearts, you know, who've bought these old bikes. But if you've got plugged up carburetors, you need to dismantle them into individual components mm -hmm. and actually lay them out on the bench. And what I tend to do is I'll mechanically clean the inside of the carburetor. That means carb cleaner and compressed air. Assemble the whole carburetor. Chuck it in the sonic cleaner. Sonic clean them. Get all mm. the solution of solid cleaner out of the float bowls, out of all the nooks and crannies, and then put them on the bike. And you've got beautiful looking carburetors that have been mechanically cleaned also. So there you go. So we yeah, with her help, with her help, we got it running. Great. And it runs good. And it's fun. Oh. Now oh, I just God, got tires and brakes and stuff. But boy, that little engine, that little 400 engine, it puts out and it is fun. But, you know, it's my favorite of the 400s because, I mean, let's look yeah. at what was on offer. And I'm not talking about the two strokes. I'm not talking about the S3 400 Kawasaki, which is a great bike. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about the four strokes. You had the Honda CB360, which became mm -hmm. the CB400. And those are nice bikes. You had the CB404, which is mm. something of a classic, and it's got that nice little four-cylinder vibe. Oh, the 400F is a great bike. It's a great bike. You had the Yamaha XS400, and while it's a stout little bike, there's something just so nostalgic about the KZ400. It's just a meaty little bike. Um, yeah, it's, it, I love it. I absolutely love it. No, I'm not going to buy it off you, Liza. <laughs> it, Sorry. It, it is fun. But you know what I would never do with that bike? I would never take it to the Mojave Desert for a desert adventure. But you know what is the call. right bike? Jim, what's the right bike for a Mojave Desert Adventure? Uh, probably not the bike I took, but, you know, you dance with who you bring. <laughs> Probably not the bike I brought, but you had a big adventure you. this weekend. You and a bunch of the guys went to Mojave. Yeah. Yeah. Got out of town. It was pretty cool. The news was getting to be a little much last week. So mm -hmm. after uh, Wednesday morning at the crack of dawn, me and uh, Mike, Mikey three times and a couple of his friends bounded down at the crack of dawn to uh, the Mojave desert, a place called Johnson Valley OHV which is about I don't know, 45 minutes south of Barstow. Uh, and it was great. It was a great getaway place. I'd been there a few times before. And uh, Mike was describing some amazing, like natural, almost like slalom area bank turns. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. There's all sorts of stuff out there. I mean, this is hundreds of square miles of desert. Yeah. It, um, you know, it's part of the Mojave Desert. It, you know, it backs up to or to the east is 29 Palms, um, the Marine Base. So this is out there, out there. And yeah, there's whatever you want to kind of do, you can find. I mean, there's plenty of sand. There's deep sand. There's packed sand. Um, there's rocks. You know, they do King of the Motos there, King of the Hammers also, which is like a truck event, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a big moto area. Um, but you can like what what Mike was talking about, this bank stuff is people will just carve tracks into the into the desert. Um, you know, find some, some natural movements in the dunes and it's a hoot, um, you know, big, huge bank turns, ups, downs, whoops. I mean, if you're a better rider, probably some jumps. The crazy thing is you'll be ripping through this, you know, go up, down, around, and then you have to plow through like three or four feet of just seems like sugar. Oh. Um, yeah, oh yeah, we all, we were crashing left and right. It was a hoot. Um, but it's great. I love desert riding. You know, you can only do it certain times of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, we looked out where the weather was gorgeous. The first few days we were there, you know, and I say gorgeous, you know, high seventies, maybe 80 during the day and then getting down oh. to the, you know, low fifties at night, just ideal. <clears throat> so yeah, you know, no shirts running around, you know, I'm having a campfire and all that kind of stuff. But the writing is, you know, people think of the desert as just being sand, which there's a lot of, um, and shout out to, uh, breaking away, Matt, he came yeah. down and met us there the first couple of days. Of course he got lost and <clears throat> found and lost and found, but um, <laughs> he's a great guy. So if you ever have a chance to take a trip with him, I highly suggest hanging out with Matt and breaking. What were away. you riding, Jim? Uh, CRF 250 rally. Okay, so, you guys trailered down or you drove, you, rode down, you didn't ride down with that? No, no, no. I threw it in the back of the truck. I took the TTR 125 too because small bikes, big fun, especially in the desert. <laughs> um, but it was great. You know, we did some rides, you know, getting not getting too far away. You know, probably never went more than 10 miles away. Like I said, a huge variety, everything from loose sand where you're just so, ripping like 50, 60 miles an hour to rock crawl stuff. Tell me, Jim, I mean, the, the, the rally raid is one of my favorites. But it's not a powerhouse. How did it cope down there? Yeah, it's not a powerhouse at all. And, um, you know, I, I don't think it's your first choice for desert riding, but it hauled my ass around just fine the whole time. Now, I did put a small a one toothless counter shaft sprocket mm-hmm. on about a month ago, and that makes a difference. Um, you know, and it has a radiator. I think if it wasn't, you know, if it was just air cooled, that thing would have blown up. But, um, you know, and it's a ton of clutch work, and you're, you're working the shit out of those bikes. There was also another 250L. Actually, Liza's old bike mm-hmm. was on that trip. <clears throat> um, but that kid was like 140 pounds. But it did fine. Um, you know, I don't do super aggressive riding, but it never, it never, it never left me hanging. So there, right on. There were at least two misfits there. So there had to have been shenanigans. Are you willing to share some of the stupid things you did? Um well, first I'll say, I don't think it's stupid, but me and, Mike, <laughs> me and Mike have camped together doing this a couple of times. He's a hoot. I, I, he, I love going with him because we're so different, but we work together just fine. Like I'm super minimalist. Next thing I know, he's got the generator going in a movie theater happening in the middle. Of it. <laughs> he told me he had, now he's figured out how to have hot showers. Yeah. Yeah. And a yeah. pooper. He's got and, a, yeah, a, and a toilet. Yeah. 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 So anyway, I, I don't, I like, I don't shower. And anyway, obviously, and I have a shovel. That's about where I come from, but uh, you know, nothing terribly stupid, but you, you know, it's BLM land and I always, you know, you go to these BLM lands and Bureau of land management, you know, like it's something like uh, uh, the people's land and it mm-hmm. may as well in quotation marks say, do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> yes. um, so we had some good grown up fun, you know, you know, riding bikes and, 
you know, shooting guns and lighting things on fire and all this kind of stuff. Yes. Uh, uh, there's usually some gasoline involved with your shenanigans. Yeah. A lot of gasoline. Um, <laughs> so, well, we had mini bike races. We were going to tape it, but then we didn't, which is probably a good idea. So that happened at nighttime and you got to have a finish line. So we ended up doing about a three foot wide, <laughs> 10 foot long swath of, it had to be like two gallons of fuel <laughs> just blowing up in the desert. It was awesome. So we decided not to race at all and just do burnouts and donuts and wheelies and all sorts of shit through the fire for about half an hour. <laughs> Yeah, and then and then I think I think Mike and his friends watched Waterworld. <laughs> so you know that, that's desert. a little bit of it in the desert. Well, there, I mean, it's really it's like you can you can do whatever you want. I rode. Um, <clears throat> Mike had a flat. We were all riding it because I I've been there before. But it's always by myself, and I try not to ride further than I can walk, and before it gets dark. <laughs> um, well, yeah, and I bring an extra pair of shoes because you can't walk in, you know, walk in the de- anyway, walk very good in the desert. But because they were there, I'm like, let's go really far. So we're going to go really far one day. Mike got a flat leaving. Him and his homies went back, so he was covered there. And I'm like, I'm just going to go. So I went. Gosh, I don't know. I went far enough out into the desert towards 29 Palms where I looked over and there was a sign on the side of the road. Warning. I'm like, what's that? Warning. Unexploded ordinance and use of high energy weapons beyond this point. I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) That changed the vibe a little bit. So, of course, I went to the sign and took a picture. I know. I figured someone had to put the sign in. But um, but I tell you, this country is beautiful. And if you ever have a chance to ride in the desert, it's fun. you know, we took Jocelyn's class, a so shout out to her. I got to use mm-hmm. a lot of her kind of theory as I was writing. You know, one of the things where she talked about, you know, see what's in front of you, take a picture with your mind, yes. and then take your eyes to the horizon. Well, what's fun about this desert stuff doing that is you can get off the beaten path and you're just going through scrub. So it's a bush here, a thing here, an occasional rock you got to look out for, but nothing too dangerous. You know, you, you'll always come up on some pride, but you can kind of do that technique where you're looking at the bushes and, and pick a line like a Jedi, right? For like a hundred yards in front of you and then open up the throttle, grip the tank with your legs, you know, and steer with your ass and pin it. And it, you start, it's almost like you're skiing. You know, I started to get that feeling, you know, where you're, where you're, you're getting the bike up, up, up on the sand or whatever it is. You're, you're hauling ass, you're wiggling your butt, um, and you can just fly. So I really like that kind of riding. Um, and there's a ton of that out there. Uh, it really was you fun. Told, you told me today, Jim, that you felt you were riding substantially faster now. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'll, I say it was after Jocelyn's class, you know, the few things I learned there, you know, keeping your eyes up, snapping a picture of, you know, about 100 yards of everything in front of you and then gripping your, you know, gripping the tank with your legs and wiggling your butt kind of thing using your body English. You, you really can get a groove. Um, and all of a sudden there's a fucking rock or a big chasm in the rocks or <laughs> or Lord or a big sand pile. But um yeah, it's great. I love it out there. You can see the stars like crazy at night. Uh, the moon comes up over the mountains, sunrises and everything are, are wackadoo. Um, yeah, cool times. Well, and I know you got to I know you got to get out of here. Um, but before you do, so tell me, is Mike really as good of a writer as he thinks he is? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I love. Yeah. Well, you know what? Michael stick to it and he'll improve. 
You know what? If he wants to learn how to wheelie, he will learn how to wheelie. Um, like this is where he and I different. So when I, I rode like way the fuck out in the desert, I was going hours. I got a flat on the way back. Um, Must um, be nice, Jim. Must be nice. <laughs> oh, Mikey! It's funny as shit. Did you guys? There he is, my hero. It's funny as fuck. I was telling him when I when I rode way the fuck out in the desert, and you when you got your flat, and you guys came and met me. Yeah, yeah. You guys got distracted and just started doing jumps and racing and fucking around. <laughs> I'm like, where's Mike? Where's Mike? Dude, I walked my fucking bike back, and I because I so just 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 so you know, the Gaia app that Jim recommended to me, but doesn't use himself. <laughs> yeah, incredible. It, it really is a fantastic app. I don't know. I don't remember who told him to get it. Get it. But uh, it's really good because you could download maps offline and use your phone if you've got a pretty good cradle for it. All right. And then you have like this unbelievable topographical map that's super user friendly and you could record your tracks. You could it, it's it's basically oh, I remember it was from the KTM ride when they told us get that little fucking Garmin. Listen, don't get the Garmin. They're ridiculous. It's so analog. You got to push all these little fucking buttons. Doesn't make sense. Like I was like, well, you're riding a motorcycle. You don't want a touchscreen. I get that. But I'm not fucking sitting there looking down at this thing the whole time when I'm riding. If I'm going to be pushing buttons, it's usually because I'm stopped somewhere. You know what right. I mean? Some GPS out. Oh, so, um, Gaia, and we, you know. And how do you spell that? So if other people. G-A-I. G-A-I? You download, yeah, you download the map. Before. G-A-I-A. There's an yeah, A on the end. You're going to Johnson Valley OHV. You put search on the, on the phone, your, your cell phone, and then, and then you can hit, just hit settings and say download map. And then it'll give you like a square and you kind of zoom in and out and say how many square miles you want to download. You download the I, whatever park it is. And then as soon as you add a service, you, you turn it on fucking airplane mode and the, the entire app works flawless. Like Google Maps is you have a downloaded app and it's, it's the best GPS thing I ever did. So anytime we would leave and I put it on there and he's like, oh, we'll just go out. I was like, well, I just hit a waypoint where we, where we are based at. And if I get lost or one of the boys get lost, we got to come back with a truck. I could just put a, a waypoint there and then it'll give me an as the crow flies or it'll give me street roads. It's so, <clears throat> all right. So nice. it's G-A-I-A. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's an app that you can get. And it says it has like hiking trails and hunting trails and four by four and off-road and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I'll say a, a podcast listener was the one that turned us on. I can't remember Liza. He lives up in the Sierras where he talked, he's retired. He was on a GSA fit guy really cool um gosh i can't remember his name and he invited us up there but um and it is a cool app here's here's why i don't use it though in all seriousness is um i never trust electronics when i'm out there it's either a paper map or a compass or because they're, they're it's going to fail you um you know what i mean but, you spent but so much this, money on that gps unit that made no sense <laughs> yeah well that's because like mike mike was right they're like get a garmin and i got a garmin and it blew um it, it just it was hard. totally unuser friendly and everything else but it, it, i am a i'm a paper map guy and a compass at the end of the I day feel like with the garments is like you really need to like it does it's one of those things where like you know a lot of times you can just buy something and like i don't need to read instructions i can just figure this thing out and you do you know what i mean and the guy the garment is like it, it's almost like you have to use this thing for like a year straight to really figure out the nuances of it it's like DOS. It's like using a DOS computer. Yeah. <laughs> but the Garmin app is bitching. Um, yeah. Yeah. But like I said, I, but uh, yeah. Yo, you told them about the wheelies? Dude, I told them they, yeah, I did. Well, I didn't, did you tell them about the wheelies? That's, I said you were bitching, man. Why now? Somebody's got to do the wheelies around here. You know what I'm saying? Somebody's got to keep it real with your fucking robot knees. Like, 
you're in your garage by any chance is your dryer running yeah i'll put myself on mute. <laughs> dude i can hear the click clack and i'm gonna put it on yeah. mute anyway because i gotta roll the other bike in right now so mm-hmm. I'm all right mute myself well are you guys talking about the trip we just finished with that trip we're about to go on to another trip now well i'm just getting started with that trip I'll, I'll, I'll give you a segue, Mike, because I got to leave. But the one last thing I'll say before Mike turns off his dryer and comes back <laughs> is it was really cool at night. Was uh, I rode at night. Uh, last time I did it, I got lost and thought I was going to die. So I thought I'd try it again. Um, and it was fucking bitching. I got a much brighter headlight and I was a little bit smarter this time. But um, riding in the desert under the moonlight is just is crazy. It's super Every fun. Every time I've so. gone with Jim anywhere on a trip, it's been like the best trip I've ever been on in the coolest fucking places. I've yeah, been. but Mike... Oh. Anytime anyone travels with you, they're like, it was the best trip because you bring like the good food, you bring the porta potty, you bring the projector. Hot shower. Like, I yeah. like, <laughs> we all talk about like, you want to go with Mike. What a super fancy truck just so I could glamp the fuck out. And now <laughs> my glamp so hard. We're sitting there in the camp and I'm sitting back like this by the fire, just watching these things come by. He's like like 30 foot long house on fucking wheels, and I'm like it's, I could not do this again. We need to get a house on motherfucking wheels with a little mm-hmm. at the back where you just drive the bikes in. That's what's happening next. Mm-hmm. So, um, Mikey, darling, um, I have a question for you, sweetie. So um, Mike used his Ask Miss Emma privileges out in the desert. <laughs> what? What? And how did that work out? How did like, you know, are you working right now? and um, how did that work out for you it was perfect you know what it was you were right yes right and second uh that was an incredible trick and then i'm sitting there for like 20 minutes trying to explain how unbelievable you are with these ideas like with the little uh fucking ball bearing on the end of my um push rod oh that's called legacy and, and people like that have to pass their information on what happens if she dies and i'm like i don't know she needs a fucking apprentice yeah it's be um, yeah maybe that's true wait i um, want to know what was his question what was can I, fix? <laughs> well uh, so basically what happened was um mike was having problems the bike would idle Perfect. very very well but as soon as you gave it the beans it would not dissimilar to yours um oh i'm so i'm sorry i'm i thought he was calling you about that rash he has on his inner thigh <laughs> oh no okay hold on no i i i'm sorry I'm no i already i already told him about the rash on his inner <laughs> thigh that he needs he needs penicillin you need penicillin for that darling um <laughs> And so, um, in my estrogen-riddled mind, I said, well, he's obviously, he's got some crap in the float bowl. And I don't think pulling the float bowl is necessarily the best thing to do in the desert. So I actually said what he should do is drain the float bowl if he's able, using the screw Mm -hmm. at the bottom, but then fill it back up, start the bike up, pull the air filter off, and you rev the bike up and then smack your palm hard against the intake of the car. And then the suction, your engine wants to suck, 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 suck. And because there's no way it can suck through the venturi of the carb, it just sucks everything up through the main jet. And it's a good way of clearing the main jet. 
like a snap. And it worked out really well for you, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was the thing, right? It was it like, I was trying to use like fucking carnal knowledge or, or recycle knowledge. Like <laughs> and I'm like, is I had the Kitster Pro, the fat tire and that thing. Oh my God. I'm so fucking glad I got that thing. It was sick in the desert. It was so nasty. Drop it to 12 pounds. Nothing would not slide in the sand. It was, it was, so- <laughs> it was like a tractor and it looks bad as hell. And I put that new, uh, de- what do you call that? Uh, crazy light that you get, uh, the fancy expensive one, the thing you could see for fucking miles with it. Clearly. No, no. Yeah, like it's like, like they do two initials, like DS There's some fucking acronym on it. Some bullshit. Fucking <clears throat> desert. Oh, uh, I don't know. KC. Yeah. Yeah. Something. Oh, oh. No, it's KC. Yeah, KC. They put him on the roofs of trucks, I think. Yeah. I think he had a sunshine band back in the 70s. <laughs> and a Chevy Love. Now he's in a light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know, I actually saw KC in Orlando. God, probably back in 2001. Oh. He's, a very, he's a very strange man. What's, I saw, I saw him at Myrtle Beach. In the night? Yes, he's a, he's oh, yes. a, he's a he's a very strange man, but a good performer. Yeah. It's Baja Designs. Baja Designs. Yes, yes. Okay. Ridiculous. Like that's so. So I says I I'm like there's something going on here, and I brought all the tools and stuff. So I was like, you know, I I think I could fix it. Whatever it is. First of all, there is a crack. There's a little plastic piece that goes in between. There's like a little manifold that comes off of the head, the piston head, like a little 90 degree bend. And then the, the carb connects to that. But before oh. that, there's a plastic piece with a, with a rubber gasket in, uh, recessed in one side. And then there's a rubber gasket on the actual uh, carburetor. carburetor. Mm-hmm. There's a plastic piece in between. And I'm like, who the fuck would put a plastic piece in between something that rattles so much? But then I was thinking, I was like, oh, it's probably for heat to dissipate the heat. Uh, dissipate, yeah. Carb. Mm-hmm. But the thing fucking cracked all the way down into the gasket and then where the crack was every time it would vibrate it would kind of open up a little bit and pinch the yeah. gasket yeah i'm like who the fuck came up with this thing so i, I i'm pulled- holding what brand bike are you riding again don't worry about that a big vacuum leak then yeah, yeah. Well, that was the yeah. first problem right so it was a vacuum leak and i'm uh-huh. like pulled the whole thing apart cleaned it up and i jb welded the crack shut with a, with a zip tie and kept it like that for a while and then kind of just cool. maybe welded some pieces, smoothed it down, made a good clean surface, whatever. Wrapped it with some shit that Jim had. Um, I don't know what the fuck do you call that shit, Jim? The red There's a condom. Tape. Condom. <laughs> Basically, like it was a condom. And I <laughs> Why did you bring a condom to the desert, Jim? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, come sometime. It's like bringing a knife to a gunfight, you know what I mean? You can't watch out for the boys in the desert. Uh, we wrapped uh, the thing in duct tape, right? And, uh, and, and I was like, all right, this should fix the problem. We're good to go. Yeah. I go turn the bike on, same fucking thing. And I'm like, oh, my God. I said, I know it's air or fuel. It's air mm-hmm. or fuel. It has to be. That's it. Because, like, this is working perfect, but this isn't. And, like, why, what, what's happening? Like, it's not getting fuel. So I pull all the hoses off. I'm looking at them. Then I'm like, I'm going to call Emma. It's a shot in the dark, but she always answers when I call. I, she, must, she likes me more than other people. I know that for a fact. You're Mike. Mike. <laughs> You're my favorite, darling. There it is. No, don't tell the others. I know. I'm not trying to exploit. You know what I mean? No, it's well. No, it's that New York accent. I can't help myself. 
You know, I just can't help myself. It's, it's, it's funny. It's, that's for me. It's the gorilla body. That's what endears me to him. <laughs> oh man, he picked up my bike. I got. I was like, dude, I'm gonna keep dropping my bike because Mike's gonna pick it up. <laughs> we had a. Actually, we had a. We had a bunch of repairs, didn't we? We had the mini bike carb. We had two flat tires. We had a cracked side ca- uh, side cover. Let's so you. let's let's just agree that Mike appeals oh, to I, us on different levels <laughs> but to me you know it's always like oh i'm talking to joey fatone um so, but yeah it's uh, yeah i yeah i'm gonna tell you what happened so then i call her up and she says she i says, gotta go i'm out of here all right see you jim, hey, jim. Bye, jim. jim. see y'all peace out yeah it Bye, was, jim. Hot. i'm sitting there in my boxers just hanging out in the <laughs> desert trying to fix the fucking bike you know what i mean and i'm like you know what i'm gonna call emma i don't give a fuck she says, put the suction on it, do the thing, and it, it worked. And I was like, I knew there was something with it. I just didn't <clears throat> fucking carb because every time I pull carbs apart, I got to bring the bike to recycle afterward because it doesn't run for two weeks. <laughs> yeah. And I've got, I'm a fucking carb monster. I don't fuck with carbs. So I was just like, I don't want to do this shit in the desert. She said to do that quick fix. You know, we got the thing running and I'm fucking ripping around. No big deal. Everything's good. I get a little bit away from the site and bah, 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 goes down again. I'm like, fuck. So I bring it back and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go out on the big bike now and I'll come back and do it later. But I said at that point, I was like, she's right. There's stuff in there. And which means I do need to pull the flow of the bowl and I need to actually clean it. So mm-hmm. Jim had some carb cleaner and uh, I, I did. It was a pretty simple procedure and I just kind of cleaned everything out. Uh, and I did what she did uh, again first. And I did all that shit and followed her directions and it ran perfect. But I broke down, my wheel broke, I had the Gaia app on, and I'm like, we're going 20 miles, I'm 0.6 miles into the trip as the bird flies, because you can do that in the desert, like legit, you can just right, drive yeah. over the fucking <laughs> how you want, you know? Yeah. And uh, fucking, and I stop, because I get a business call, and I'm like, what the fuck, why did I put my Bluetooth on, you know what I mean? And, um, and the next thing I, I go to go, and I'm like, damn, this fucking bike's all over the place, and I'm like, I'm just not even sand right here. And I look back and I hear something and my fucking tire's like done. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? Maybe I ran over a rabbit or something, you know? <laughs> and um you know. So Oh god. So I'm getting out there, right? I'm point six miles out and I'm thinking, well, shit you know what am i gonna do and i remember when i was a child and you you two broke a blue tire on a bike and you start walking the bike back or you try to ride the back you'll either fuck the rim up yeah. or it shreds the tire it does some shit with it yeah so I'm like all right well it's only yeah. 0.6 miles i mean i remember when i was 16 i ran a mile 615 so i was like you know i could probably get back in about 10 minutes i'll just walk it through you know what i mean or i'll throw it in first gear you know it took me like a half an hour <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was not going to ride it. I was like, fuck that. I'm a man. You know, I'm just rip all my clothes off, boxers. And I'm running through the fucking boxers through the desert in my fucking <laughs> bike and shit. Right? I get back and I, I fix the tire myself. Just so you know, I never did that before. Did the motherfucker. <laughs> and uh, and then little do you know, Jim calls. He comes back. He's like, oh, oh, oh. He, he rides in. He's like, oh, I blew a tire out. I'm like, no shit. Me too. He's like, yeah, I just rode it back four miles. I was like, get the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck out of you. You fucking thing back for You fucking son of a bitch. I just want to kick his fucking bike over. What I wanted to do. 
Dude, maybe it, you should get a moose. Maybe I need a fucking moose. That's what I need. Maybe you need a moose. <laughs> I need more than a moose. But I tell you what, it was a good trip. Guys, a really good app. And it really helps to have extra inner tubes when you're going out like that. Oh, yeah. And the, what do you call it? The spoons and shit to, to take mm-hmm. the tire off the rim or whatever. Well, tar irons. Listen, yeah. just because I can change the tire doesn't mean you want me to. Because if you, your tires are going to look fucked up when I'm done with it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I mean, it looks like somebody graffiti wrote fucking crayon and shit all over the side of the tire. Just all the paint's gone. <laughs> but the tire held. Well, Mike, you have your version of glamping. And last week I did my version of glamping. You did. Yeah, but I, I saw you. I was like, well, Daisy, you know, no way you're camping. I said, get. <laughs> I know. I He's said, like, there's no way she's camping. I'm like, no. So, um, head in. I'll be right back. All right. So, yeah. So, Scott and John and I, um, Breaking Away Matt and a bunch of other guys all went down to Carrizo Plains. Uh, first time for you, John and, and Scott, right? Being there. Yeah. Yeah. And, first time um, for me. Yeah. We went last year and I camped and I was miserable. And so I said, the only way I'll come, Matt, is if you get me the tiny house. Because on the property where we're camping, the owner of the property has built a little tiny house for him to come stay on uh, when he comes to the property. And uh, so he was nice enough to let me have it. And that made all the difference. Being able to get up and go pee in a composting toilet in the middle of the night was great and being having that shelter from like the wind when it got cold and having a deck with chairs and tables that everyone could come hang out on it was really nice um uh so john and scott this was the first time we were all riding together and we had an interesting array of bikes on this trip so I was there with the Africa Twin. It was the only one. It was also the one that half the people there said is an abomination of sorts. Um, we had, of course, the requisite GS 1200s. There were a few of those. And we also had a Super Tenere. We had some KTM 790s. Uh, we had Tiger, Santos on the Tiger. Yep, a Triumph Tiger. Yep. And John, who was the little orphan child on the KLR. KLR. 650 the mighty kill there it is which everyone agreed looking at that like oh man that's probably the best bike for riding around here um john you're still kind of newer to adventure riding how was the weekend for you well it was you you know what what an amazing place i i've heard about it a lot and it just feels like such a different world and a whole nother part of california that nobody knows about Mm -hmm. so super happy to be there um yeah i started a you know like a lot of us, I started out riding in the dirt back in my teenage, but that's been a few decades. And uh, I, I think actually from listening to you all on the podcast and talking about dirt stuff and Jim talking about all his stuff, I was like, ah, you know, maybe it's time to uh, to branch out a little bit and uh, try something different. And um, so I, I picked up a KLR uh, in February, right uh-huh. before the, the lockdown, which is awesome. And uh, and just decided to, uh, to go out and start riding. So, for, you know, first trip was on Summit where I summarily laid it down because I grabbed a handful of front brake and a turn. <laughs> and uh, so, I, so I, I learned a lesson there. And then, uh, but eventually I went and took a class with uh, Feel Like a Pro Dirt mm-hmm. up in, uh, up in mm-hmm. by Clear Lake. And then uh, went out riding in the Utah desert and, and the Carrizo is kind of my third uh, kind of real shot. We've done like Gloria Road and other things around here, but this was so, but it's such a, you know, it's such a different kind of riding. It's uh, I've, yeah. you have to unlearn or sort of reverse some of the street learning that yeah. you had and, uh, and just, 
and you know the biggest thing is really being okay with the bike just being all squirmish and, and you know traction is it's a different kind of traction so and uh, for riding on the street for 30 years it's just i i you know i found myself initially kind of freaked out about that but it's uh i love it and uh you know i don't want to <laughs> i don't want to be one of those cliche guys i'm trying really hard not to do that but um and uh but i'm not going to starbucks so that's that's helpful um but um, I, you know, I, I'm all in on dirt riding now and, uh, and I'm excited about it. Well, the cool, the thing that's cool about the KLR 650 is you did a ride recently in Utah where people were riding, uh, smaller bikes, actually right. dirt bikes, but you were able to stay with them and ride. It maybe wasn't as well suited to the environment as theirs, but you were able to do it. And then you're riding with us on our big bikes and you're able to do it. And that is exactly what that KLR is so good at. Right. For the price point for someone to get into adventure riding, and then for the size of it, you're able to be in the mix for any kind of riding. And again, yeah. we'll always say it's never the best bike, but it will do everything you need it to do to be able to yeah. do it. And the one with the camo KLR? Yeah. 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 Yep. Uh, cool. Yeah. Now, now that you've done a bunch of rides, are are you sticking with it? Or are you thinking about getting any? <laughs> oh, I've been thinking about it. I'm I'm, uh -huh. I'm really looking at that that I love that uh, KTM 790. Oh um, yeah, there were a that, couple of them. That yeah, that feels a little bit like it's uh, it's still got some dirt worthiness to it. Um, and I'm a little afraid of the Africa twin. I ain't touching that thing, man. That thing is like seven stories tall. Liza tried to get me to, we did some practicing on that. And of course I went right over. Boom, and then yeah, and then the, I, the I'm rule like, is I'm, for anyone who wants to try the Africa twin, you have to be able to get it off the kickstand. Yeah. I'm a short little fat Italian guy, man. I ain't riding that damn Italian. <laughs> a couple Africa of them couldn't get it off the kickstand. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, yeah. But you so, tried. You tried. I, that is no. I did. And the bike went down, uh, but it's okay. It's made to do that. I bow before you and Jocelyn. I don't, and anybody else that rides a, an Africa Twin, you guys are uh, that's that's it's quite the bike. But it, it, well, yeah, yeah so, it is a big bike. So you, you yeah. need to be interested in a KTM seven ninety, huh? Yeah, I would. But the funny thing is, is you know, even talking here, what Jim was saying earlier, it's like, do I want to go smaller or do I want to go bigger? Um, you I know, because I have a street bike. So, well, that's why I have three now. <laughs> yeah, three I know. Just but, you know. Why is very gracious? <laughs> are, are the roads that we just rode are not the same as the ones that you guys did. There's there, some of it's a bit similar, but we had a, mm -hmm. a range of bikes there, you know. And one of them was like the the uh, 250 uh, CRF. The other one was um, uh, DR 400, and then I had my mm -hmm. 500 TE 510 or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Jim had the 250 CRF, whatever the yeah rally. Anyway. Yeah, it was a bit pretty, pretty diverse. And like, I was just watching, like, it's it's really interesting. Like you could tell because I had the KLX or the KLX 250, which is mm -hmm. just like the CRF 250. And to be honest with you, my friend was riding in the CRF, but he's like 125 pounds. And I sort of got the bike look, it was made for him. And even yeah. on the hill climbs, mm -hmm. the, the only problem mm -hmm. is the way that they're geared is they're, they're geared a certain way. So it's like, it's either a little bit better for the, for the highways or it's a little torquier for the dirt. But like, like they're kind of coming to that, like that, that middle ground where it's like, you know what I mean? If you go one way or the other, you're, you're, you're more, more going to be that way. And it's kind of a bitch to get it back and forth. So I would say personally watching everybody that my boy, David had the best bike. My, my bike was a little tall mm -hmm. and it had a little bit too much torque because on the low end kind of a uh, Cody Webb shit I was trying to do, like to kind of just, you know, like feathering mm -hmm. the clutch out and popping, yeah. like the thing would want to stall. 
Um, yeah. Power. But um, on the hill climbs, it was no problem. But Dave at the four, he had a 400. He was perfect. He was flying across the fucking desert, low speed. He could do all the little maneuvers and stuff. And he had no problem tractoring up the, uh, the hills. Well, so, I, I would say the only place that the KLR came up short, because you were doing great in all of the dirt, yeah. and the sand and everything, um, is when we went out of the park and onto pavement and we went yep. and did some nice sweeping tw- yeah. you know, twisties and the KLR couldn't keep up with the big bites. No, there's no way. That's but, where it came up short. When that's, you get yep, up that's where onto it is. like a highway. But well, the funny thing about the KLR is I could have, you know, I thought about it and, and Mike was talking about this. I, you know, I could have geared up for the street, went mm-hmm. up, went up a tooth in the front or down, but then you give up something on either end. So it's, yeah, uh, it's hard to have the yeah. bike. That's the best at everything, but your bike did great in the dirt. Um, unlike Scott, <laughs> the bike or me i don't know maybe some of both. <laughs> scott learned some lessons on this so scott yeah. how new are you to uh, dirt and adventure riding i'm uh, pretty new the, the last time i've kind of been adventure riding on a big bike is what you see in my background there mm-hmm. you see that harley with the orange tank and the arrow stitch sitting in the back yeah that's what i had in the jungle there in malaysia which is just stupid but it's another story <laughs> So you went and did tell. a thing, and you bought yourself a new bike. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I got the GS in July. Yeah. And it's got the new Metzler Turrets on it, which is, you know, I, I think I've been told that's a 90% street tire. <laughs> and so, of course, I got abuse. <laughs> yeah. I got abuse for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mikey got it now. He kept going, oh, these are 90 tens. I'm good. <laughs> well, Carrizo. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, is it always sandy like that there? Or is it, you know, if you go in the spring, is the sand a little bit more damp and packed? No, I think that's the whole point. It's that dry, arid. It doesn't, doesn't fly south for the winter. It stays the fuck there all year round. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But Good point. to your, I mean, I do want to say, um, to your benefit, there was one time when we were trying to go up to that, I guess, a lookout point, and... Mm-hmm. The two guys in front who are on better equipped uh, adventure bikes. And there's this one uphill section that I saw them like fishtailing up. You can yeah. see it was very sandy. And I just stopped and went, nope. <laughs> and Matt stopped <laughs> yeah. and he went, nope. And then you just followed them. <laughs> and I'm like, it. oh, this I is the bike. Be good. I think we even told the <laughs> other guys, just stop, just wait, don't follow because something's about to happen and you tried and it just plonk went down but you didn't hesitate you just followed uh, you, you were a champ for trying that yeah yeah you didn't go That's why oh, i bought no the bike way. let's see what we can learn the friday night we got into camp i told you about getting stuck in that sand when i went down that thing that was not the loop around camp yeah yeah and so i've got a photo that i put up on my blog for it where the bike is stuck in the sand no kickstand yeah. And, you know, the thing that heavy, you know, I had to, all the bags off it by that time, but I had to use a trick I learned with a class earlier where you just grab the rail on the back, you just pull it sideways out of the rut and try to get on something packed enough to start. And that worked. That's a lot of lifting. Yeah. So you, but you had a couple get offs, but for the most part, it wasn't that problematic. You were riding it pretty well. How did it feel out there? Um, it was really fun. And, you know, the sliding around is something I'm not used to. Um, we were talking with somebody around the fire. I don't know if it was Alex or Bill who said, when you get 
uh, a mixed use tire, like a 7030. It's not really a 7030. It's a 3070 because you've got to use the knobs first before you wear them down on the street. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to yeah. do that before the big trip. And I was talking to some guys at SFBMW about it and they said, Oh yeah, you get a second set of wheels. And then, you know, pretty soon you're starting to talk some fairly big money. So, you know, John yeah. taking the truck down the back, uh, the, uh, the bike down the back of the truck probably really made that easier. Yeah, the the seventy thirties. You keep riding on the street, and then there's seventy twenties, and then there's seventy tens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, this, today, so you were talking about how tall the the African twin is, and mm-hmm. I felt the same same way about the GS. And this isn't even the GSA, but there's times when I've just about strained my calf muscle trying to get it up off the stand. And then, of course, I got that Porker Army duffel bag across the back seat, so I'd probably go more lightweight, like uh, like Jim was talking about. Today, I spent over an hour looking at Honda's website and looking at something like the Honda CB500X instead for ADV, which, you know, John, to your point, much lighter bike, you know, bigger or smaller. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of got an ulterior motive of that. I'm thinking about um, thinning out the pack, maybe getting rid of the R65 and the GS. Mm. And if I got that CB500X, and that way my (laughs) 20-year-old would have something that's worth learning on. I could still commute on it because it's a really fairly modern bike. And I might struggle to keep up, you know, for the high speed stuff, like that blast down there going 80 plus miles an hour most of the way. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Drag. Uh, you, you don't think wouldn't. so? No, CB500X is a very, very, very capable bike. Um, and the good news is, I mean, I may be behind the times. Bear in mind, I haven't worked at a Honda dealer now for mm-hmm. 18 months. But in Europe, you can get this whole rally kit for the CB500X. Yeah, exactly, the rally and it really kit. Transform, yeah, and it really transforms the bike. Whether Honda have chosen to start selling that stuff here in America, they should. I've said for years, and it's, it's a shame Jim's not here, because I've, I've said to him for years, the perfect desert bike and really just all-round bike has yet to be invented, Mm -hmm. but it looks something very similar to Jim's 250 Rally with a CB500X engine in it. There's one for sale in Santa Cruz I was thinking about calling about. Yeah. Right. And that's a perfect, to me, that's a perfect platform. Um, You know, if I had a little more time, I would build my own, funnily enough, based on a Kawasaki. I'd start with either um, a 500 Vulcan or a Ninja 500 platform and just use the frame loop because it's got that lovely 500 liquid cold twin like the CB500X and then build like an adventure bike around that. So, no, I think if you, I think it's, it'd be inspired choice on your part, Scott. Yeah. I really do. It, it makes it fun I, again, too, because you get these great big ADV bikes, and it's like it looks great in front of Starbucks, unlike your KLR, John. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then it's intimidating to ride. I noticed some of those guys who pulled in Saturday, I didn't see them doing a lot of loops or aggressive t- trails. I mean, Isaac's a pretty big guy, but I didn't see him, see him take that loop around the campground even once because they're a big, heavy bike. Well, I took that loop many times on my bike. Um, And I want to say, so for me, when, um, like Jim was saying, a lot of what I learned from Jocelyn came to Mm -hmm. mind. Now, when I did the training at Jocelyn's, uh, you you go through the sand pit there 
and you fall time and time again until mm-hmm. you learn it. And we decided that there was no point in me doing it because my body had really taken a beating. My knees were really beat up yeah. and there's no point in me just falling more, but I paid attention and I listened, even though I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And that all came back to me when we were riding and just doing trails and I'm standing riding and it feels so good on that bike. It fits me well. And I'm like, oh shit, there's sand where I used to like tense up. And now I just remembered loosen up and look up. It's all about looking up. Don't look down at the track you're going through. Look up at the horizon. And then suddenly everything's moved out. And most of the time, the Africa twin, because it's so big, it was able to just plow through. And I, I got that, what that description Jim said, where when you loosen up, let the bike kind of move around a little bit. And it's almost like you're skiing on powder. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I felt that sensation. Um, and it was, it felt, it felt good, but <clears throat> constantly reminding myself because I'd see sand and I'd look down at the sand and it's like, don't look at the sand, look up, look up. And then that changed everything. So it was really nice to have that training come in and play. Yeah. I mean, sand, that's the hardest thing for, that it, it was for me, especially in Utah. Cause there was a, there was about a five mile, uh, a five mile road of sand that we had to take. It was like probably three inches deep and it was the most disconcerting oh. freaking out thing. It's the hardest part of the trip in some ways, but you're right. You know, keep your eyes up and stay on the gas. As soon as you let off on the gas, things start to get weird. Uh-huh. and uh keep that going and 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 uh but then again like you know like scott was talking about tires you know i had those stock klr <laughs> tires on there when i did utah and it was absolutely horrible and scary and then i i just put on tusk d sports at the garage a couple and i tore up my my rims like mike um uh and uh mike actually saved me <laughs> at the last minute too but um but those new tires oh my god what a difference in the in the, in the sand and in the dirt yeah it does make a difference. Yeah. But Scott, now I wanted to ask you as a uh, instructor, um, I've always said, I actually don't like riding dirt very much, but I do it because it makes me a better rider in general. Sure. From what you've experienced so far, do you agree? Do you see how that comes into play on the street? And would you recommend it to everyone? Yeah, I mean, there's there's less other hazards out there. The biggest hazard when you're in the dirt is yourself and your riding and just the other environment. You're not going to have these big metal things, you know, cruising around to blast you out of your saddle. Um, your tips about steering with your knees and toes, pointing your knees and toes the mm-hmm. direction you want to go, by keeping the knees on the tank, that helped a lot. We have at various professional development workshops uh, through CMSP had dirt sections Mm-hmm. So we could learn a different riding technique. So Lee Parks thinks that's pretty important too. Um, but it is, it is a very different technique than what we're usually doing. And they expose us to a lot of different things at those workshops. And years ago, I also went to one of Rich Oliver mystery school uh, mm-hmm. sessions there. And that's the first thing he had us do. The first exercise, we hop on using the much smaller bikes, obviously. He says, go over here. He wants you to do a J turn and lay it down and just lose the rear and crash. That's the first exercise. Just we get it out of our system and get used to that it's sliding. Right. No, and, and both of you have mentioned that there are, uh, there are classes out there. Everywhere around the country, there are classes yep. that you can go do a weekend on little dirt bikes. 
I highly recommend it, even if you're not getting into dirt riding. I think yeah. we all agree that just that weekend of riding in the dirt, will, it'll, it'll help you with your programming of what to do when you, your wheel starts to slide. Uh, even just the idea that it's not the end of the world when the tires are sliding, you don't just yeah. give up. There are techniques for it, and so you can manage it. Right, right. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, it was a good weekend. I can't wait to, to do another one like that. And uh, I don't know. We'll have to figure out where we're going next. But it has to be where I can glamp at least. <laughs> I prefer glamping in Holiday Inn Express. But, you know, whatever. I'm not as good as Mikey is. Though Mikey would have been proud. John and his wife also had their little poop tent set up. It was glorious. They have a nice yeah. one or was it like just to throw a pop-up one? Uh, I had to throw a pop-up one in the, in the five gallon bucket with a little yeah, we, seat on it. Yeah. I got to tell you last time we did that, I was like, I was like, Oh, this is brilliant. I think those are really good for like kind of a minimalist thing. But if you bring a truck, it's like, I just was like, fuck it. I got a really nice one. It's got like, it's got like a shower bar and a whole little thing. And, and it, like, it took me more time to set up the shower tent, but it was so worth it. And then I have some insulation from plumbing and I just put it right around the top of the toilet and threw a bag in it. And then we burned the shit at the end of the trip. (laughs) Mike, the closest thing I'm going to come to that is a little spade that plays music like the Toto toilets in Japan. Oh my God. And I, Emma, I have a top tip. I have a top tip. Is it, does it involve flaming poo? No, I wish it did. Oh, Um, this is a recommendation, um, and this this saved people twice on this trip. But people make fun of my little gas bottle. I bought one of those little one-liter gas bottles. Okay. It, it looks <laughs> the size of a water bottle, right? You're like, you think, what is, is this good for? But they're great because it saved me in the Nevada desert. It saved uh, two people on this trip. <laughs> two people who needed it to get to the gas station. It's something that you can fit into a backpack or in, yep. into a holder. I even on my um, CRF 250, um, Mike, you can tell, uh, you can tell Joe, I got one of those water bottle holders for a bicycle and yep. I mounted it to it with Velcro straps and it mm-hmm. fits perfectly in that little holder. Yeah, I saw um, it in the back. Huh? I saw it in the back of Joe's. Yeah. Boat. It's something that a lot of people don't think about. But having you don't have to have a big roto pack or a big gas can. Having that one liter metal can of gas is a great tool to bring on a trip. As long as you don't use it for the flaming finish line. <laughs> oh. No, you at least two gallons for that. <laughs> hey, um, hey guys, I wanted to cover a little bit of news right now. Mm. Um So this is something that that is interesting that came up recently, and I didn't really know what it meant, but I think Emma can explain this. So did you guys see the uh, announcement from Kawasaki? Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, if you didn't know, Kawasaki Heavy Industries, they make a lot of things. Emma, what do they make? Oh, good Lord. They make um, ships. They make aircraft they make motorcycles they actually make factories um 
most they're very <laughs> oh, yeah. much into automated assembly. So if you see a wow. Honda or a Yamaha production line, most of the machines building them are Kawasaki's. Yeah. So Kawasaki is this giant. As she says, ships, trains, planes, helicopters, hydraulics, and robotics, and gas turbines, and jet engines. Just like everything. Big big things. Um, wow. But they announced that they are separating. Uh, Kawasaki motorcycles from the Kawasaki heavy industries. And yes. it sounds kind of scary. Like what's going on? Emma, and explain what you think is going on. Why are they separating the two? I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing at this stage. You see, the problem is when you're part of a massive conglomerate, let's say, I mean, the motorcycle part of Kawasaki Industries as a whole is probably less than 5%. Much as we love Kawasaki's, when you take Kawasaki Heavy Industries, a tiny percentage of that is devoted to motorcycle building. So you've got this entire company based on corporate Kawasaki culture. And the landscape within motorcycles is changing very quickly. And we'll say, well, no, hang on. Motorcycle sales and service are booming. And they are booming right now. One of the saddest facts is this COVID, COVID epidemic has thrown a lifeline to the motorcycle industry. Because ultimately, we're all part of this thing and we're this very, very tight click. But there is better, there's no better way of social distancing than sitting on your bike. So we've had this something of a respite. But the overall trend is still down. So I think what Kawasaki have actually done is by, in effect, turning the motorcycle division of Kawasaki into an autonomous company, it's going to give them a little more flexibility to weather the trends. I don't think it necessarily means they're bailing out. Um, we're, we're really going to have to see. Um, corporate culture is a very, very strange thing. Um, there's no real passion for the brand involved it just comes down to dollars and cents and i think by the motorcycle division being separated from the industrial division i'm hoping it's not a temporary respite i'm hoping it's good full stop but i'm not going to speculate beyond that right now and i think you even mentioned don't be surprised if we see it happen from suzuki well, Suzuki, out of all the, the four manufacturers, and bear in mind, you know I'm a Suzuki gal. Mm -hmm. I, ble I bleed Suzuki. But they're the, they're the weakest of the four. Hmm. So if we look at each of the manufacturers, in terms of just motorcycles, Suzuki is the smallest. And in terms of parent company, Suzuki is the smallest as well. I mean, yeah, uh, Honda are this giant, this global giant. I mean, 
Honda USA, you and I have been there, Liza. Mm -hmm. It's like a city in itself. Yeah. And you think about the product they make. Honda have always been very, very flexible because they manufacture stuff all over the world. You name an industrialized country, there's a Honda plant in there. Vietnam. Yeah. India, Pakistan. They're everywhere. Yeah. Belgium. Yeah. yeah. It's true. You know? I've been to the plant in Pakistan. Exactly. Yeah. Yamaha have a vibrant engineering um, department that subcontracts out to other manufacturers. We've talked in the past of things like Ford cars with Yamaha engines in mm -hmm. them. And, of course, they've got the musical division as well, which is very, very profitable. Um, Kawasaki, we've already talked about. Suzuki... It's a it's a smaller parent company, and once you get beyond the success of the Jixas, you know it's it's really Suzuki is actually moving into a niche manufacturing almost. So, I'll I'll be very interested to see what Suzuki is going to do in the next two or three years. I think we're going to see a lot of changes with them. I think they're going to have to really think very hard about the products that they put out and really streamline it down. Um, so that's just, and I stress, this is my opinion. Don't sell your Suzuki right now thinking that the company is going to go bankrupt and you won't be able to get parts for it. I mean, ultimately, Suzuki, like all the Japanese manufacturers, are healthy right now but i think what we're gonna see when we're finally over this covid thing and we kind of get back to business as normal if we're very lucky we'll see this renewed interest and vibrancy in the motorcycle industry in which case we're all going to be saved but conversely we still might just kind of pick up where we left off on this ultimately downward trend you yeah know? Ultimately, we've got to get more younger people on bikes. I mean, there's no, there's no escaping that. Um, and in lieu of everything that has been happening recently, it's been a big week in the news. And everyone's talking about politics, right? It's hard to avoid uh, talking about politics right now. Um, what? What? And I wanted to bring up a story that kind of explains how politics can and is changing the face of motorcycles as we know it. In fact, American motorcycling. Um, so this is just, I just find this kind of fascinating. So I read this great article um, called how Harley Davidson went from Trump's favorite motorcycle to an American pariah. And I mean, we all know like, What's going to happen with Harley Davidson? I've been watching Long Way Up. I'm, you know, they're still, they're, they're almost, they're almost home. It's so fascinating. Those live wires have been doing great. They've had issues, yes, but it, overall, like, it, I think it looks good for Harley to see them riding those highly modified, <laughs> the, you know, live wires with the Pan America suspension and everything. You can't buy that bike, but still, we're, we all want to root and hope. 
that Harley Davidson will survive and that we'll see, you know, the progress keep happening. But I found this interesting story and I want to see if everyone is aware of this. So uh, the Trump administration early on, one of their big things they're standing for was um, American companies, American made. We need to bring it all back to America. And what is the biggest, you know, American motorcycle company is Harley Davidson. And you know, the administration was really supporting Harley Davidson. Uh, but then politics came in and there was a, I think in 2018, a, 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 there was a tariff placed on European steel, right? And they didn't like that. They wanted to get back at us. So they put a tariff on Harley Davidson's in Europe, right? So yep. what did the administration do to get around this? Because they would have priced them out of the market. Well, they built a factory in Thailand. Well, that, that was Harley that built the factory in Thailand. Yep, Harley built the factory in Thailand. Yes. So that they could make the bikes for the European market and avoid the tariff. Well, the Trump administration <laughs> didn't like that at all. Now, suddenly, they're r- really against the great American motorcycle company, Harley-Davidson, because they, I mean, you could say they outsmarted them or they went around them, whatever, but this is how politics are involved. And, you know, it, it makes you think about the great American motorcycle company. How American are they? And can you truly survive and thrive as a great American company? One thing to note here, do you guys know about the new CEO of Harley-Davidson? Oh, it's something. So there's a new yeah. CEO. Yeah. yeah. And he's German. He's the first non-American CEO of Harley-Davidson. Ach, was? Yeah. Uh, I'm not even going to try and say his name. It's, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I well, couldn't you, even uh, you pronounce You can try it. I'll correct it. <laughs> uh, wait. Uh, I'm not seeing it right here. I don't want to keep oh. scrolling. Oh, wait. Um. J O C H E N, Jochen? Jochen. 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 Zeitz. 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 Jochen Zeitz. Jochen Zeitz. Ah, ja, das stimmt. Interesting. And so when you wonder, like, they're making a lot of decisions there. Remember the Bronx, which looked like a really cool bike, and they asked that. Are we going to get the Pan America? We think so. We're not sure. They're committed to the live wire for now. Um, right now, their bread and butter are the big touring bikes for the aging market. But they're really scrambling and trying to figure out how to get the younger market to survive. We've got those electric bicycles that just came out. Um, So now the question is, how much, uh, how much of an American, you know, made in America company can they continue to be? Or as, as Emma said, they have to become a global company, don't they, Emma? To survive. Well, the, the analogy I used is, you know, if you think about when you're growing up, you're a kid, you live at home with your mom and dad, sit down in front of the TV and, you know, watch Rhoda every night and everything along great. And then you go away to college for two years, three years, maybe four years, and then you come back home. And you can't, it's not the same because the home now necessarily hasn't changed. You've changed. 
And for the last, really, for 20 or 30, 40 years, we've been on a global market. And that applies to the world. That's not just Mm -hmm. America. You can't survive on a domestic market. Now, there are downsides to it and there are good sides to it. I mean, there is like this globalization of design. If you think about car design, if you go back to the 1960s, British cars had a very, very distinctive look to them because they were meant to appeal to British people. And if some Americans like them, that's great. American cars were very, very distinctive because they appealed to Americans. And if you like them outside, well, that's fine. And same with German cars, with French cars. They were all very individual. You can't get away with that now. You have to build a world car. And that's why basically all cars look the same, whether it's a Jag, whether it's a Benz, whether it's a Cadillac, whether it's Peugeot. They all basically look the same because they appeal to the same person. As I say, they all look like a Toyota Corolla now. Right. Exactly. Because that's your market. It's a perfect car. But the, the point is, you can't, if we were to say, right, we're just going to go back to only America and only building America and being bought by Americans, it would be like moving back home after leaving for college. I don't think we could pull it off. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would love to see that. I would love to go into a store and see everything made in America and see all American cars on my street. Um, But I don't think we could pull it off. I don't think, you know, globalization, the the global economy has grown so much. And, I mean, just look around you at things that are made elsewhere or manufacturing-based elsewhere. And then there's the more insidious ones of companies that we think are domestic that are financed from overseas Mm -hmm. yep you know it's not just because it's an american company doesn't mean the money that's coming in to keep that company afloat is in america it might be japanese money it might be um german money it might be russian money it might be from any number of sources so yep. this, like is, all those this big, is. I would say, like all those big Dodge Ram trucks. That's an Italian right. company. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's. I had a com, and this has been going on for many, many Spaghetti years. Spaghetti Western. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, it's. We need to think on a, on a sustainable scale. And if that means putting a plant in Thailand, so be it. Triumph's been doing that for years. Um, so, and it's interesting. Yes. I have a theory. And yeah. this could be quite inter- interesting. Um, I'm just going to say, yes, we also have Indian, which is another great American company. But I'm going to put them in the exact same boat as Harley because they're really the same, same market for the most part, right? Um, and, and I, even though India makes great bikes, I don't see, see them making as many strides outside of the box to, to survive. I'm going to say, I'm going to project that in 20 years, and this is bizarre to think, the great American motorcycle company 
maybe zero. Oh, Could be. can you imagine that? Wouldn't that be something? I mean, that is completely changing the face of the industry. If, if that is true. Um, but it, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm thinking that may be. And the thing is a uh, zero Zero is hanging on by a thread, and it always has because they are a new industry, right? And and they're relying on the early adapters right now. They're still relying right. on early adapters, but they've managed to hang on this long mm-hmm. while so many others haven't. So that's my projection. What do you think, John? So, yeah, well, I, th- I you know I think my fear with Zero is is um, once Kawasaki and the other the other companies get involved in the, the electric bike. That's going to be hard to uh, to compete with. So I'm hoping that you know there's a lot of American even government investment in a company like Zero, so it can be the next motor company. If but without sort of I think help and in a head start, that may be difficult for them over the years. Uh, yeah, I just I mean I just wanted to throw that out there because, like I said, there's things that are happening. We don't really know how it's all going to play out. Right. Everything is changing right now in here in the u.s and that's why oh it's literally it's literally changing by the minute but what i wanted to say liza and we'll use zero as an example Mm -hmm. but it's the same as every other sport bike in the world because it's what we've gotten used to so let's take a look at the zero um srf you know the 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 sporty one Mm -hmm. okay brakes are by Rembo, right? There you go. Uh, that's an Italian parent company. Suspension is? Olin's. Olin's. Yeah. Swedish. Mm. You know, there's a lot of Bosch components on that bike. Yep. There's a lot ABS. of Hachi components on that bike. Um, it's a global bike. The same as everything else. Yep. <laughs> you know, and this is... You know, you know, this is kind of how it is. Maybe we should but start I calling w- it melting pot manufacturing because it's kind of what it is, right? Hmm. Right. Yeah, good and the truth is we all want those Olin's shocks and forks on our bikes. And we all want those Brembo callipers because that's the work, you know, that's the gold standard. Yeah, it's good stuff. It Why is good stuff. It? Exactly. Um, you know, what if you want the best stuff that should be your driving force not necessarily where it's made i mean ultimately it would be nice if the best suspension in the world had made in the usa on it unfortunately right now it isn't the best suspension in the world is olin's you know it's just and the best brakes in the world are but you know with the right investment i think we can get there I really do. There you go. Um, I wanted to do catch up with some emails. And Bagel, I just sent you one if you can get ready to read that. Um, I will start with this one, which is exciting. Emma, I want you to pay attention. Hello. Hello, darling. Hello, darling. This is from our friend Gavin. And he says... Hey, Misfits, Gav from Bolton, UK here. Right, Gav. I would like to know if there are any podcast listeners living in or around the greater Manchester area in the UK. 
I'm thinking of opening my garage and driveway when I get around to laying it out as a recycled garage. I haven't got loads of room and I'm still building my tool collection, but would like to know if there are any misfit listeners around the area that would be interested in, in joining me in this. Uh, so he's given us his email and says that people can uh, respond to him. Much appreciated. Uh, says, still loving the podcast, Ever, even after listening to them all twice now. <laughs> Whoa. Do you, know, do you know what somebody from Manchester is called? The, the correct term. Muncher. A Mancunian. A Mancunian. Mancunian. Um. God, that's exciting, isn't it? Eh? I had one of those once, but the emery board kept getting the skin too. Union. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have ordered it off of AliExpress. That's what happened. Um, thank you, Gavin. I think that's a great idea. And you know, that's something that I've always asked people to do. Like, think about opening up your space. It doesn't take much. A couple lawn chairs, some extra 10 millimeter sockets. And maybe a place to put some some beers in the fridge, and you've got yourself a recycled garage. I'm still waiting for Bagel to announce that he's doing it. We'll see, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Come on, throw it up there now, Bagel. Man. He's barely moved in. <laughs> yeah, I literally just like spent my first week here since I <laughs> since I was officially ready now. <laughs> uh, I, I, that if when so I have a house, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think some listeners have reached out to you, haven't they? Yes. Yes, they have. So that's awesome. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if there's any Manchunians uh, who would like to join Gavin and maybe start a recycle garage there, um, why don't you send an email to me at RecycleMotorcycleGarage at gmail.com, and I will put you in touch with him. Thank you very much, Gavin, for uh, offering that up. No, that's Brilliant. Um, I hope it unfortunately, works out. Uh, Gavin's going nowhere right now because the UK is back in lockdowns. Lockdown. Yeah. So um, he's probably we're, sitting at home watching his telly right now. Yeah, so, well, we should uh, be right now, probably. Exactly. You know yeah. what? I, you know what? Screw it. You know I don't care if people get mad at me. I'm just going to say, wear a mask, please. Yep. Wear a mask. Yep. That's don't it. touch people. <laughs> Don't touch me. <laughs> Don't touch people. Um, Bagel, you know who? Greg, Bagel, you missed Andy today. I wish I did. Would, yeah, it would have been nice. Um, but it's what's cool is even with his mask on, we're able to recognize him just from the eyeballs. Oh, yeah. Um, so did you get the email that I sent you? I did. And did you see, did you read to the end to see what accent you should be reading it in? Oh, yeah, I did. Okay, good, good. Oh, it's from Minnesota. So, oh, yeah, so uh, so we have an email here from uh, Jeff Kirchman. And uh, Jeff says, uh, hello, Eminem crew, and greetings from the rapidly cooling upper Midwest. Uh, I'm a great fan, and I've been listening for years. I also recently began working my way through the Misfits YouTube episodes. My head bursts with the new knowledge. Sadly, though, I'm writing with a small nit to pick. In a recent episode, a listener wrote, wrote in to get your take on their new ride, the Honda NT700V. Those of recent European extraction may recognize this as the Doville. The crew went on to heap effusive praise, not undeservedly, mind you, on the NC700X. 
As a fan of both platforms, there is a minor peeve of mine, as I often hear them confused, and I feel they each deserve their unique identities. I strongly considered and test rode both before settling on my DL650 V-Strom. I felt the NT700B was the closest I could find as a three-quarter alternative to my prior ride, a Kawasaki Concourse. And I believe the NC700-750X is Honda's nearest competitor to my Wiestrom. What are your comparisons, contrasts between these two fine rides? I would be honored to hear my message read in anyone's closest approximation to my northern accent. Think Fargo, Minnesota, Wisconsin. (laughs) Keep up the great work, Jeff. All right. I have to. he He sounds like a Norwegian bachelor farmer. Bravo. Yeah. As, a, as a Minnesotan myself, that's where I'm from. Well done, Bagel. You betcha. <laughs> okay, I have to admit, though, I wasn't familiar with the NT700V. Are you guys mm-hmm. uh, familiar with it? Um, this is what it looks like. I'm holding mm-hmm. it up. I, I mean, I don't really, Yeah, I mean, I'm familiar with the Doville. That's the Doville. But, it's, it's yeah, the yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I, I've never seen one in the wild, but Emma, this reminds me of a bike. This to me looks like the resurrection of the PC eight hundred. Oh no no no! What do you mean? No 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 no! no. It looks. It looks to me. But it doesn't look like Shamu. It does. No. That looks like if they remade the the PC eight (laughs) hundred. That looks like what it would be. But the engine's all exposed. Yes, exactly. I'll tell you what that bike was pitched as. And you've got to remember that that bike was introduced long after I'd left for America land. But that bike was pitched as a more manageable ST1100. And that was the crowd it was pitched to. And in a lot of ways, it was just as capable because... You know, the ST1100 is a bike you can get on, do five, six hundred miles and get off and still move like a reasonable human being, as is the Doville, just obviously with much less power. Um, good bike. Now, in comparison to the the NC700X, so or if you which is what I thought we were that. talking about, yeah. And yes, uh, Scott, that. if you're looking at a new bike, you may also want to consider this. I've looked at those, having had the ST1100 and now the mm-hmm. ST1300, which I still love. You know, every once in a while I think about selling, it's like, no, I really love this bike. And it's so much lower, even though it's heavier than the GS. You know, of course, I could never take it on those roads. But I looked at the Doville and it's like, yeah, they're not doing it. And then they so, pull that CTX thing and it's like, yeah, psh, forget about it. So the NC700X is, how do you, Emma, how would you describe it? Well, I mean, it defies description. It's a, I mean, if you want to talk about the cultural successor to the PC-800, to me, that's more it. Because Mm. it's, I mean, it's a crossover bike. It's got a broad appeal to people who like motorbikes, but it's also got a broad appeal to people who are like, oh, God, motorbikes, that's the invention of the devil, but I want to own one anyway. Um you know, they're extremely capable bikes. And I think, uh, as I said at the time, that was actually designed by um, the Honda um, car team. Oh, right, right, right. You know, 
Um, so it's got a, it's got quite a few sort of unique little features, like a very deep glove box where the gas tank should be and yeah. stuff like that. Um, it's a good bike. It's, it's an extremely capable bike. Does it include a cup holder? <laughs> yes, I believe you get a cup holder. Okay. All right. I'm 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 pivoting on the conversation now because bagel. That reminds me of something I was thinking of today. Oh yeah. And I, and since I think everyone here, Mike, he's Mike's a youngin, but for everyone here, it's I want to see if you guys remember a motorcycle accessory that would be considered outdated now. So. Ah. The cup holder reminded me of that. I remember going through the J.C. Whitney catalog <laughs> for accessories. And because I commuted over the Bay Bridge every day, yep. I was looking at a quarter dispenser that attached ah. your handlebars. <laughs> yep. Do you guys remember that? Yep. And I was That's... thinking that is an outdated accessory. It would be fun to kind of get one. Yep. Are there track... any others you can think of? Yeah. that Eight track what... tapes. <laughs> What? Oh, wait. Yeah. Well, I don't need eight tracks anymore. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I think you can still buy BMWs with cassette players, but those are the older ones. But what do you got, Scott? Those are absolutely a uh, couple things. These are helmety things, but that sundowner strip that goes across the top. And you mm. turn your head and it blow off the, your helmet, so you, there's your ten bucks gone. <laughs> yeah, uh, because we got the, you know you drop down visor internal now, or right. the uh, the Nady PMC two where you got a wired mic between you and your passenger, right? Mm. Tethered. And so when you step off, it squawks really loud in your ear, it screams at you, and you're you're tethered. Emma, can you think of any like uh, maybe the the coal bin or something? What are things that you remember? that are outdated oh god there's a, i'm not even gonna go there i'm not even gonna go there no can you think of anything else mm. i i'm just those i used to love like buying those little accessories you know and yes yeah. i've had a cup holder mounted on my handlebars before. you mean you mean like the swan fender ornament fender ornament with the light up wings actually you know what Last year, when I did the World War ride, and I had the the Indian, yeah, uh, it had. I we were at the factory. And I'm like, I need a cup holder. I <laughs> saw an accessory, and they put it on my bike for me. So yep. I had a cup holder on the Indian, and it was nice. Yeah. <laughs> um. What about? Oh, I know. Here's one that Scott you dug out of the bin recently, okay. but people don't use very often anymore. Those foam sleeves that go over your hand grips. Oh! Oh God! Oh, the, the, puppies. the grip puppies—they're on my GS now, and I'm thinking about buying another pair from SP13. Right? That's an old accessory. So, grip puppies—can you d describe what they are to people? Uh, it's a little foam cylinder that you slide with some difficulty over your regular grip if the if the grips start to wear down. And on the GS, mine has 48k on it. They're hot grips. I don't want to pull them off there and put whole new grips on. I just wanted to layer them up a little bit. Yeah, the whole idea was it helps with vibrations, and it yeah. also just gives you a little bit larger grip yeah. to hold on to. And it's like, they're, like, why are we using those more? I don't know, but yeah. you needed them, it, and that it, I suggested, and you're like, oh, I have some of those. It, it or the, the thing that slides on your glove that's a windshield wiper or the little thumb thing that you slide <laughs> over your glove. Yeah. yeah. Because now, you know, a lot of the high-end gloves built right into the finger. Oh, 
climb, I recommend climb gloves. Uh, mm-hmm. For those who don't know, I've now gone through and I have one of every one. I just decided <laughs> I'm going to collect climb gloves and I got them all. Some of them I haven't oh even God. taken the tags off of yet. They're sitting, just sitting, waiting to be you're, used. You're, you're gonna have, you're gonna be like the shoe collecting people who have the, the boxes up all on the wall. <sighs> I know the Marcos I have a of box gloves. Of shoes yeah. that are waiting to be worn. I do, um, oh but yeah, because they have smart touch and they have the squeegee and they have everything I want. So what's yeah. the squeegee made out of on a climb? Is it foam? No, it's just a rubber strip on your finger. Yeah, because you know. Yeah. Right, so, you know, back in the old days, and I mean, for all I know, back home they used they'd still sell them. They had this thing called the V wipe, and the V wipe was was very very soft, um, clear plastic, and it sort of had a blade on it like a windshield wiper, and you stuck it on your forefinger and you just yep, exactly, and they worked absolutely perfectly. Um, I can't see why they would ever stop selling them because it was such a perfect product in the day. Because it's just quite, it rains in England, you know. I know that comes as something of a revelation to people. But the gloves have um, built does... in now. If it's built into the glove, why do you need the V-Wipe? Right, exactly. Well, not all gloves have things built into them. Like the good ones. You know what? Um, I actually had on my 95. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up now and see if they still make them. My 95K75RT, it had the built-in stereo, um, and it had an auxiliary input. And so I had, this is an aftermarket dashboard you could get that went right behind the windscreen and above mm. your, like, Speedo. And I put Velcro on there, and I had a, um, a CD Walkman. Ah. And I had, in the glove compartment... I had CDs, so as I'm writing, I could actually put CDs into my CD player on the dashboard. As you're writing. As I'm writing. What could possibly yeah. go wrong? <laughs> exactly. Oh, there goes Jackson Brown. Shit. <laughs> you could have somebody cut you off, too. You got all these little Frisbees you can fling in their car. <laughs> right. Um, so, guys, I have just looked it up, and the V-Wipe is still available for £6.99 from Bob Heath Visors. And how how about that? Thruppence is that? Uh, it's Thruppence Apne. Um, <laughs> six, six, six <laughs> oh. Um I, th- I think that's about $1,000. I want to say we? that's about... <laughs> <laughs> Are, are we allowed to talk about the we, the V-Wipe on a family podcast like this? <laughs> yes, we are. Well, we can talk yes, about the Wee we... Willie, too. I've got a Wee <laughs> Willie for <laughs> windshield cleaning. Simmer down but, now. Uh, but I, I have an accessory that, that it's not particularly I'll bet you do. It's in your but, trousers. <laughs> no, but it's it's called a McGuff. Have you ever heard of a McGuff? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Is that something for grooming your beard, Bagel? Oh, no, no, no. This is, isn't, this is, isn't it? He's the crime dog, isn't he? No, no, no not Mick that Ruff. That is that McGuff. The dyslexic crime dog. <laughs> this is a thing called a McGuff, which is it's basically a, a rubber cylinder with sort of a nozzle at the front. And the oh. idea is that you put this on your gas filler, and then you stick, you know, and especially in California, <laughs> where you have the, the gas filler, uh, the pump handle with yeah. the, the big condom on it that you have to push up for it to start. Yeah. So the idea was that you could put your gas nozzle through this, this cylinder 
that's sitting in your, your tank opening and it will push the cotton back for you. So you don't need to hold it and you can stick the nozzle into your tank and then fill it up as, as full as it will get. And it'll shut off when it gets to the top where you don't have to get your hands dirty with the gas. Cause you got this little cuff thing that does all that holds violated the violated from that description. It sounds like he's describing a sex toy. Aerofitch has a smaller one that looks like something you would use to fix a divot on a golf green. And it's just a little fork that you put, you you slide the, you know, the jacket back and you put that on the nozzle. Yeah. Yeah. But this is, you just push the thing in through this thing and it it holds the the bellows back. So use a better term. But the the problem with this thing though, was that, invariably the pump would not shut off because you've raised the the level of the nozzle so yeah. so you'd you'd keep you're yourself all, all over the all you know clean and dry until you overfill the tank and then it all comes pouring out yeah so that was an accessory i think that we all could have done without well tell you what uh listeners if you know of an accessory that is now outdated that we can reminisce about Email it to us at RecycleMotorcycleGarage at gmail.com. Um, or you can just go to our, our website, MotorcyclesAndMisfits.com, and you can click on the Contact Us, and it'll come right on through. Um, I want to, yeah, I love going down uh, memory lane and remembering all these these things. Um, hey, guys, do we have any, uh, any trips or any plans coming up? Any rides? Anything? We're, we're heading into winter now. This was our first cold day at the garage. Yeah, it's getting real cold up here in Oregon. We had ice on the ground this morning. Oh. Well, Jim yeah. didn't mention, but the reason he came home early from his trip is it snowed. It's a pretty good reason. I've ridden it. Yeah. Oh. talked about how great the weather was. He's like, yeah, but then yeah. it snowed. <laughs> and they bailed. <laughs> right? It was great. Right, Mike? How, how, did you ride in the snow at all? No. It, it, it perfect and then friday night it was so fucking windy he told you right that there his his tent like got to yeah he said he just got crushed oh no it was like 1 30 and it was perfect weather and i i'd like pack for it to be really cold like thermals and shit like that super good uh um uh sleeping bag and um every night was like i really just sit out with a sheet and i was fine but uh then all of a sudden friday the wind started kicking up and you could see across like for miles, the plane, just like a bunch of like kind of dust and shit. And we were riding and it was, it was okay, but it, the clouds looked like there to be some clouds. And then it was like, it would get incrementally worse throughout the night. Like I pulled down the projector and shit like that. Cause it was going to get blown away. Then at like 11, I was like, I should probably pull down the shower tent because that thing is, looks like it's, I'm going to wake up and it's going to be miles away from here. Yep. And we're sleeping at night and like the whole time I was pissed because like I packed a big air mattress in a small tent and I was like, Oh fuck. You know what I mean? Like this is the air mattress is like just a little bit bigger than a tent. And I just squeezed it in there and it <laughs> just no room. And my buddy had like this like eight person tent for himself. And this one, it really seemed like they were all lounging and good. For all the preparation I did to burn this fucking lousy one person tent. And, um, but as soon as the wind started kicking in, their thing were, were like uh, like jello mold. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like the tent, like a whole tent would just flip down and wow, wow. Like, 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> I got beat up by my tent. The wind would be like, it would be like, you know, like, it's coming from. Bitch slapped from my tent. Yeah, and my tent was so like, like protruded out on the bottom that it like kind of like pulled the tent down. And uh, it was like super rigid at that point. And then like it also sharpened the whole tent out. So like it was like a knife, like the wind just like <laughs> and it's planted. So the first time I was like, yeah, fuck you guys, you know? I was, I'm, yeah. But then I wake up and I hear cursing and screaming and I see my head, my buddy, like the tent looked like a, um, you ever see a placenta when a baby's born? <laughs> Massive hole. It was like a parachute, and then it would catch, and he'd go like this. And I said, All right, I'm getting up. I'm getting up, putting my pants on. And I get out there, and he's like, Just get me some duct tape. I'm like, You're out of your fucking mind. Because <laughs> that'll fix it. That winds, bro. You ever been in a hurricane in Florida? I said, We need you know. I said, We're going to go home. It was two in the morning. <laughs> bro, I said, Pack this shit up. You know what I mean? Let's get yeah. the fuck out of here. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a cool reminder that winter is coming upon us. And so for a lot of people, it's the last rides of the season. I think we're going to have more riding to do because we're yeah. fortunate that way. But that's why we have heated grips for when it gets below 65. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, I have um, one final announcement to make, and I'm excited about this one. Oh, yeah. The South Jersey Moto Film Festival. Hey. Oh, tickets yeah. are right. available. Yo. So if you uh, enjoyed the Black Hills Moto Film Festival, well, we've got a whole nother set of curated films uh for the South Jersey Moto Film Festival. And tickets are now available. Here's the deal. Go to revsisters.com, R-E-V, revsisters.com, and click on Film Festival. You can get your tickets. Um, For the last film festival, tickets were free for the weekend, and we're doing that again. Uh, The festival is going to be December 2nd through 4th, and it is free. But we had a lot of people who weren't able to walk. That's a a bit expensive, Razor. I think you should reconsider that. It's a bit overpriced. Uh, Yeah, like the Toronto one. There was a lot of people who um, weren't able to finish seeing all the films because it's like almost nine hours of films. Uh, Or something came up or they missed it, whatever. So what we've done is you can do it free for the weekend or for 10 bucks, you can buy a 10 day pass. So that'll give you a lot more time to see all the films. 10 bucks is still cheap as chips. Wouldn't you say, Emma? Oh, good Lord. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a great deal. What you've got to do is you've got to consider how much entertainment you're getting for that 10 bucks. And, you know, it's it's going to come out at like a buck an hour, and you really can't beat that. Yes. And there's some really cool films. I'll tell you real quickly about one of them I'm excited about. This is a, uh, a newer film. It's called Blood Rider. And this uh, features uh, this guy who delivers blood on his motorcycle in Africa to the hospitals when they need it. Cool. Uh, so that's the job. He's going around with a giant cooler on the back <laughs> delivering blood. Uh, to the hospitals is it, because the motorcycles can get it there. 
Yeah. Um, so it's pretty cool to uh, see the story of that. So Blood Rider, that's one of the films uh, in the in, featured in this festival. So RevSisters.com, South Jersey Moto Film Festival. Check it out. Um, South Jersey, that, yo, what exit? Yo. <laughs> Funny what exit in South Jersey? Funny you should say that. That's one of our themes is exit signs. I've been working on the videos. Um, but yeah, I think I'm going to go dump one of our trailers up uh, so you can see some of the trailers of films and get excited. So that's nice. it. RevSisters.com. I think that's it. Does anyone else have any other announcements they want to make? Oh, God, I do, but I don't want to right now, but yes. I've got something really big coming. Can you at least, Emma, tell us the color of your underwear right now? <laughs> <laughs> Red, darling. <laughs> I have an announcement. Yes, what do you got, baby? The, the Oregon DMV, so much easier and less of a pain than the California DMV, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> I just got to say that. Congratulations. Awesome. Thank you. Well, um, hey, and I wanted to thank uh, John and Scott for joining us and sharing the stories. And, um, you know, and one thing I wanted to say, just going back a little bit, you know, Scott, uh, uh, you know, talking about getting into adventure riding, you got the big bike and you're going for it and you're crashing. But one thing that I thought was admirable that I learned on this trip, you're older than I am. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck this shit. I don't want to get hurt. And you were still charging hard. So right on brother, right on. Well, thank you. Thank you. If anybody and, wants to see pics and video, I got some stuff on biobikers.com. And, and John, you ain't no spring chicken either. So same thing. I am not. For, <laughs> further, further proof that anyone can and should do it. Even right. if you're a short Italian. Or short, yep. short-legged. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which, by the way, um, kudos to Santos, who uh, is a yeah. very small person who had was riding that triumph seven tiger. years experience he's really no rider too that I mean, triumph tiger that's lower lowered seat and he he could he killed it it's great that was a great bike for all those people who say the bikes are too big they can't do it this guy was proof that you can because he he was able to to bring everything down and have that bike fit him Nice. Also, kudos to Santos for managing to not answer all your questions around the campfire. Liza. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, we won't get into it. So I think that I think that wraps it up. This is the time of night where I tell everyone thank you very much for listening, making it to the end. Um, I've got a list of stunt misfits that I'm going to be going down. I've got some upcoming episodes. I'm going to be reaching out to some of you. Thank you for emailing us. And uh, don't forget to go to MotorcyclesAndMisfits.com. You'll find our links there. And lastly, if you would like to get one of my cool Motorcycles and Misfits t-shirts, I still have a bunch left, you just need to send a PayPal to RecycleMotorcycleGarage at gmail.com for 25 bucks, And that'll get it shipped to you anywhere in the U.S., and just don't forget to list what size you need, and I'll get that out. Because, hey, perfect Christmas present, right? Right. Um, I wanted to say, uh, 
couple of very, very brief things. Number yeah. one, if you're waiting for an Ask Miss Emma answer, please bear with me. I've got a lot going on right now. You are going to hear about it maybe on the next podcast or the podcast after. I will get to your Ask Miss Emma question. The second thing, while you were away having fun last weekend, I would like to shout out to two fans of the show. That would yes. be Eric and Sean, who showed up on their big V drums last week and just they brought beer they just they just brought beer without being asked i mean it really doesn't get any better than that so um (laughs) thanks for showing up guys well there you go all right i think we're ready to get out of here so thanks everyone this is liza Mm, bagel emma darling Hi, this is John. (laughs) 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 Mike. And Scott. There we go. It still didn't work. All right. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. I think we are ready to get out of here. Cool, cool. Cool.